Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, we're uh, continuing our series uh, called Culture Shock. And uh, if you're just joining us in the series, welcome, glad you're, glad you're joining us. But uh, four weeks ago, or three or four weeks ago, we, 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 we launched into this uh, series, um, Culture Shock, Finding Our Way and Influence in Our Changing World, recognizing that there certainly is a lot of change in our society, in our world, and that can often give life to fear and anger and apathy, and that's not too helpful. Um, and we just talked about how we, we need wisdom uh, to find our way and to find our influence in our changing world. And so we talked about wisdom quite a bit and I kind of taught us about the idea that oftentimes as, as society changes and we look at the way it changes, we're asking the question, is this right or is this wrong? And that it's not a bad question, it's just sometimes not the most helpful question. Uh, we talked about a real helpful question is, is this wise or unwise? And we're looking through the lens of, of, of God's word, knowing that the scriptures speak very clearly to some topics, and, um, and, and so other topics doesn't speak uh, directly to it all. So we, we do need wisdom. So we've been talking about wisdom for, uh, for politics, wisdom regarding, last week Brian talked about marijuana, and, um, and today I'm, I want to talk to us about, about sex. Actually, we're going to spend two weeks on sex, and I just want to say up front that if you're a parent, you got kids here, uh, Brian mentioned this last week, that um, this may be one of the sermons that you, you want to... Um, maybe you just don't want your kids to hear this. That's okay. If you want to slip out, um, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I want, to, want you to express wisdom um, in what your what your kids are hearing. So uh, I'll, just, I'll just leave that up to you as we as we engage in this in this conversation about sexuality. Now I'm a dad of four kids. My kids, three and our kids, um, they have uh, they have grown up, now they left the home, and now they're, now they're married, and um, now they're, they have their own family. So two of them have kids, and uh, we're in this, uh, this great season of being a, a grandparent. Um, it's, it's awesome, um, but we, we remember the days when our kids were at home, and we clearly remember the days when uh, we, we felt the tension of the messages that were coming to our kids, that were coming to us. And we felt specifically the tension of, of what culture was saying and that what we wanted to, to, to say. The, the tension of what, what culture was wanting to implant in the hearts of our kids and what we wanted to deposit in the hearts of our kids. So Trina and I, early on, um, had this idea of, of a, a trip with dad. Uh, we called it a 12-year-old trip it, that they would go away and, and I would have a conversation uh, with these kids, uh, with my kids on, on several, several areas. And you know, it wasn't exactly always on when they turned 12, age 10 to 13, somewhere in there. Maybe it needs to be done earlier now. I, I don't know. My, my kids are you know, now in their late 20s. And, um, but that, that's the time we did it. And we addressed five major topics that we wanted to disciple our kids in. Finances, work ethic, character, spirituality, and sexuality. So I, the kids could choose anywhere they wanted to go in the U.S. I would go with them. We'd spend a week having a great time, and then we'd have conversation on those topics. And four out of the five of those topics, my kids were significantly engaged and asked a lot of good questions. When I got to one of the topics, they were silent. It was a pin drop moment. It was like, just stop talking, Dad. And that topic was sex, if you haven't guessed by now. Um, one occasion, I'm, I'm in a car and I'm beginning the conversation with one of my daughters and, um, and we, we've been talking and so she, as soon as I start talking about sex, she, is, she just looks out the passenger window and she won't make eye contact with me and as I'm talking, she's saying, Dad, stop. Dad, just please stop. 
stop, Dad. I know all this already. Just stop. And, and I didn't stop. And, and then she, later she told me it was so awkward, Dad. And I said, well, would you, would you rather I, I not said anything? She said, no, no, no. I'm so glad you had the conversation. I just hated it. And, uh, and then one of my sons, uh, we're, I'm, we're talking about sex. And I, so I'm, I'm talking about love languages and how people feel loved and um, so I you know, taught my love language. And by the way, if you've never studied that topic, there's a great book out there by Gary Chapman called Love Languages. It's super helpful. Um, and so I was, I was telling um, my son that, you know, mom, she feels loved through acts of service. And so I, you know, that's, that's why I, I try and serve her. I cleaning up around the house, doing laundry, folding laundry, doing the dishes. And, and he's just got this inquisitive look on his, in his face. He looks at me and goes, Dad, wait a minute. Are you saying that when you help clean up the kitchen, that later you, you and mom, you know. <laughs> and I looked at him and said, oh, if only. If, if, <laughs> if only, if that's, that's, that's how it worked. It doesn't quite work like that. It helps, but that, that doesn't work like that. But this is a, this, these were conversations that we were having with our kids and parents. Some of you need to have these conversations with your kids. You determine how that happens and what that sounds like. But th this is a conversation also we need to have in church. We need to have this conversation here because we need to understand as disciples of Jesus Christ, how do we live our discipleship lives in a sexually charged culture? How... We live in a triple X culture. We live in a sex-obsessed sex culture, and we need to find our way, not just to survive, but also to, to find our influence, that we can be influential even in, in, in the shifting seismic changes of society. And, and so, um, so we need to have this conversation. Um, University of Nebraska had a, had a survey of incoming freshman students, and they specifically targeted incoming freshman students who, uh, who had attended church. And they asked him this question, how did your, cheer, your church shape your views on sexuality? Now, of the over 1,000 students, incoming freshmen, who, uh, who, who were coming to University of Nebraska, 2% of them said that their church talked about sex. Um, and then here's some interesting quotes by some of those incoming freshmen. One freshman said, in our youth group, we talked about sex, but we avoided the good stuff. Uh, another freshman said, people in my church don't believe in sex. Oh, <laughs> uh, if you only knew. Still, another freshman said, our church is boring. It's probably a good thing they didn't teach about sex or they would have made it boring too. <laughs> my goal is not to make this boring, but I, what I really want to do is I, I want to talk about the realities of culture because here's the message that culture is sending to us regarding sex. They've, they've adopted the slogan of Nike, it's just do it. With whoever, whenever, however, just do it. It's not a big deal. It's just a physical thing. It's okay to be sexually active. Just, just do it. And, and, and what's happening is, is culture is receiving that message and, and, have, and believing what's being said. And so people are becoming incredibly sexually active. Um, another college campus survey surveyed 1,800 uh, college students, and uh, as they surveyed them about, about their sexual activity, 60% of the students surveyed said they were having sex once a week. 32% have had more than one sexual partner in the past 12 months, and 50% of those surveyed, 900 of those 1,800 college students said that they've had more than two sexual partners since they turned 18. And not only is our culture increasingly become sex-obsessed, and not only are we becoming more sexually active, now marketing has shifted, and this has been for a long time now, now we know that sex sells. 
I mean, who knew that if you could get a woman in a bikini to eat a hamburger seductively, that profits would rise at Carl's Jr.? The Bignati is a restaurant in London. It's a clothing optional restaurant. Um, you, you go there and you, you eat without your clothes on and uh, before they even opened their doors, they had 46,000 names on the waiting list. 46,000. The Huffington Post tells us that 30% of all the data transferred on the internet is pornography. 28,258 people are viewing porn every second. And it's not just guys, 30% are female. We, we are being confronted, we are, we are being assaulted by all this, this, this priority on, on sex. I mean, this last week, I'm, I'm in an airport, I had a plane that was delayed, and I, you know, I was traveling, it was Friday, and they had to switch out planes, so I walk into a store, I just wanna get a bottle of water, and so I'm walking in the store, they got this huge magazine rack, and they got the same magazine on, on, on the whole rack, it's all spread out there, and it's GQ, Gentleman's Quarterly, and on the cover of GQ is Kim Kardashian, with hardly any clothes on, and the title boldly there says, 10th anniversary issue, love, sex, and madness issue. And I'm just trying to get a, a bottle of water and I've got I've to make my way around this magazine stand to get my bottle of water. And so I'm standing in the back of the store, I just turn around and I'm watching people as they're coming into the store. I'm watching parents try to get their kids around this magazine, right? And I'm also watching people walk up and, and, and pick up one of the magazines. And this is the culture that we're, we're confronted with so much, not just sexuality, but sexual temptation. In fact, one study says that a teenage male or a teenage female faces more sexual temptation in one week than their grandparents faced in three months. Friends, we gotta talk about this because this is a, this is a topic that we are confronted with and culture is sending a message. But here's the deal. We are not the first culture to be obsessed with sex. This goes back centuries in fact, it goes back to the first century. And I want, to, I want you to grab your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read a passage here in a few moments that's speaking directly to this topic. Uh, you'll, you'll find this passage on page 1,809 in the pew uh, Bible in front of you there. It looks just like the one I'm using. Um, if, you, if you go to that, that page, um, the, the way this works, for some of you, this, this is kind of new for you, navigating your way through your Bible. The, the big bold numbers, that's the chapter, see the big bold six there on page 1,808. And if you look over on the opposite column of page 1,809, you see little numbers, that's the verses. So we say chapters, the big number, that's the, that's, that's, that's the chapter, the little numbers, that's the verse. And that, on page 1,809, that column on the left, go all, about three quarters of the way down there, you see a little nine, and, and I'm gonna start reading here in a moment. And Paul is writing to, to people in the city of Corinth. Corinth is a city, a culture obsessed with sex. It's the Las Vegas of its day. It's sin city. It's a city that never sleeps. It, it's, a, it's a culture significantly engaged in, in, in sexuality and sexual immorality. And Paul is writing to them because now they're Christians, yet, they're, yet they're, they haven't really shook loose the old patterns, the old behaviors that they had um, before they found Christ. So I want to read this text and make some comments and we'll just talk about how that relates to us. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. 
Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true that someday God, but, but though someday God will, will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sex, sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. This is God's holy word. Little context for us. Here's Corinth. Corinth, the, the Las Vegas of its day, a, a culture uh, obsessed with sex. Um, and, and they had this, in Corinth, they had this, this toxic mix of spirituality and sexuality. Here's what it looked like. There were these temples around town, and um, you would go down to the temple, and you would, uh, you'd, you'd pay your money, and you'd, you'd, you'd get your prostitute, and you'd, the, the two of you would go through a little religious ceremony, and then you would go into the temple, and you would do your thing. It was as this, this mix of spirituality and sexuality. And this, this, they, did not, they did not have a problem with people coming to church. Just put, put it that way. They, they mix sexuality and spirituality. Now, Paul comes into town and he plants a church and he begins to talk about the, how you walk and how you follow in Jesus and, and what holiness looks like. And um, as he's left and he's planted some other churches, they write a letter and they ask him questions about this, this whole topic of sex because the common thought of the day is what is physical is evil and bad, but what really matters is the soul. So what that means is what you do with your body, it doesn't matter, it's how you treat your soul. And what Paul is writing to them and he's, he's saying, no, what you do with your body matters. So he, see, he writes to them about, about sex and about sexual immorality. And there were a couple pervasive attitudes about sex in Corinth. You pick up the clues of this from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. It says, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. What he's saying here is, is that, you know, it's just food for the stomach. It's, you know, if you're hungry, you know, after church today, you're hungry, you want to have lunch, you, you go and have lunch. You make a sandwich or you go out and you, and you have food. If you, later tonight, if, if, you're, if you're hanging out, you want a snack before you get to bed, you, you, you're hungry, you, just, you, you get a snack and you satisfy that appetite. So, and this is their view on sex. What they're actually saying is this, sex is an appetite to be satisfied. 
If, if you want to have sex with someone, you just, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. It's just sort of this, this physical thing that goes, that goes on. You just find someone to have sex with. In Corinth, you just go down to the temple, you pay your money, you have a little religious ceremony, and you go in and you do your thing. It's not a big deal, no harm done. That, that actually is, is you'll, you'll hear this today, actually, uh, Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy, says that, bio, that uh, sex is a biological necessity. It's the same idea. It's just an appetite, no harm done, nobody gets hurt. It's, I'm just, we're just having sex. That's one predominant view in Corinth. The other predominant view in Corinth is actually quite the opposite. And you get the hint of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 1, where it says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is the opposite. The one is sex is an appetite to be satisfied. This one is, is sex is dirty. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to have sex if you want to have kids. But once that's done, you just, you just don't do that because, you know, it's defiling and it's, you know, what, what's physical is evil. And that's sort of the, the, the philosophy of the day there in Corinth. So you, you got sex is dirty. You got sex is an appetite to be satisfied. And Paul is writing and he's confronting these two uh, assumptions about sexual activity. And he's saying they're both wrong. Sex is not an appetite to be satisfied. And sex is definitely not dirty. What Paul says is he writes them to give them a correct understanding of sex, and he does this by saying, don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? Now, prostitute, think temple prostitute. For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. When the church read this letter publicly, they would have been scratching their heads. They, they were saying, Paul, what are you talking about? Because that word one, it means to be glued or to be super glued or be, to be permanent or to, to be bonded to or to be attached to. And, and, and what, what they got to be thinking is, Paul, I don't understand. I, don't, I, I wasn't bonded to anyone. I didn't get super glued to anyone. This, there's no permanence to this. I just went down the temple, paid my money, had the little religious ceremony, did my thing. There was no bonding or permanence or super gluing or, or anything like that. I mean, it was just spring break and everyone was doing, it was college and a lot of people were active that way. It was prom night and I loved her or I loved him. It was a business trip and, and nobody knows about it. There's no permanence no bonding there's there's no super gluing on it's just a one-time thing what are you talking about Paul that's not what's going on here and what Paul would say in response is then you don't understand sex you don't understand sex if you don't understand that when you have sex with someone there is indeed something deeper going on what Paul will say is this will define sex this way um if, can you go to the next slide? Yeah, sexual oneness is the culmination of whole life oneness. This is what, what Paul is going to say. Look, if you're going to be physically one with somebody, you need to understand it's the culmination of whole life oneness. Let me explain this. What he's saying is that you don't get naked with someone physically unless you're naked with someone with your entire life. It means you're vulnerable emotionally and spiritually and economically. Every facet of your life you are vulnerable with and sexuality or, or sex is the culmination of one, uh, a, whole, a whole life oneness. And when you have sex without, without being naked, without being vulnerable with the rest of your life, you are actually you are actually damaging something that God has created in you. He has designed you in such a way that sexuality is to be expressed in this whole life oneness. And when, that, when you are not one with one, you actually do damage to your soul. Now, listen to me on this. 
So some of you are single in the room. You need to hear. There are people who are married. There are wives who are wondering why their husband can't awaken this thing in them. And, and oftentimes it's because they're numb because of previous sexual encounters. There are men who are wondering why they are not satisfied with their wives. And oftentimes it comes from deep soul wounds because they have been one with not one. They, they have experienced sexual oneness with someone and they, they don't have whole life oneness. And you have been designed, you have been created. There's a mechanism in your soul that God put there. And when you have sex with someone that you're not married to, you have multiple sexual encounters, what happens is you are hurting yourself in some of the deepest areas of your life. So that's why Paul is saying, don't you realize what's going on here? He's saying this is not like the other sins. This is not like lying. This is not like cheating. This is not like greed. This is different. Sex, sexual sin is actually in its own category. It's not because it's unforgivable. It's not that God can't heal those wounds. It's not like you're gonna go straight to hell if you have sex with someone you're not married to. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that sexual sin actually does damage to your personhood. Don't you realize that when you had sex with that temple prostitute, that this is what's going on? Don't you realize with that business trip, with that spring break trip, with that thing that happened at the office? Don't you know that you were one with that person? Now, let me, here's what I want to do. This is what's going on in Corinth. Corinth. This is what's going on today. Sex is an appetite to be satisfied. In some cases, not so much. Sex, sex is dirty. Although that, that was a predominant view in the church. We just didn't talk about these things. And yet, Paul is saying sexual oneness is the culmination of whole life oneness. I just want to take off my pastor hat here at the end of this talk, and I just put my dad hat on. Let's have the sex talk, okay? And let's just speak directly. Some of you are going to want to stare out the window and tell me to shut up. All right? But I got your attention, so I'm going to do something with it. Here's, here, how do we find our way in influence? Let's just start from the very beginning. Paul alludes to this. Friends, we need to run from sexual sin. Paul says, he doesn't say just resist it. He doesn't say fight hard against it. He says run. You run from it. Now, hear me on this. Some of you right now are sleeping with someone that you're not married to. And you don't know how much damage it's doing to your soul and you don't even know how much damage it's doing to the other person. It's not that sin is not pleasurable. Oh, there's pleasure involved. As Brian talked about last week, we often trade the ultimate for the immediate. And right now, some of you, you're sleeping with someone that you're not married to and you need to run. Maybe you're here today and you're, right now you're in the middle of an affair and you need to run. Maybe someone here, you're very emotionally connected to someone that's not your spouse and you know where this is going. You, you, you know exactly where this is going. and You need to run. Some of you are frequenting strip clubs or you're knee deep in porn. 
And you turn off that computer and you come home and this spirit of self-hatred comes over you, this self-loathing, and you just can't stand that's what you did. And yet you just keep, you keep re-engaging in that point. You keep going to the strip clubs. I'm mean, gonna just tell you, run. You're, 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 you are hurting yourself in places that you don't, you don't even realize. You need to run from sexual sin. Now, I don't, I don't know, many of you have never seen this little, little video sketch. It was done by Bob Newhart. Some of you know who Bob Newhart is. He was doing this sketch, and there's this person coming for counseling, and, and Newhart, as is, is she's sharing her fears, she just says, stop it! Well, I have this fear of claustrophobia, and his response is, stop, stop it! Well, I, I've got, I, I got this fear that people won't accept me. Stop it! And right now, maybe you're sitting here, Steve, you sound like Bob, Bob Newhart. Stop it! Stop, stop having sex. Stop going, watching you know, pornography. Stop going to strip clubs. And Look, friends, it's not about just running from. It's about running to. Okay? Yes, we need to run. We need to take these things that we're engaged in, and there's so much shame, and there's so much guilt, and there's so much condemnation, self-condemnation that's attached to it, and we need to bring it into the light. So it's, yes, it's running from, but we don't run from, we run to. And some of you need to run to someone, you need to confess what you're involved in, and you need help. Or some of you need to run to ministries like Life Path. We have sexual integrity groups right here. Some of you need to run from a situation, you just need to bring it into the light. It isn't just running from, from, it's running to. It's running to Jesus and saying, I, this is a mess. We need to run from sexual sin. Here, here's the second thing I would say to us. Is we need, we need to reject the cultural narratives regarding sex. There, there, there are multiple cultural narratives being, that are being sent our way and, and they're false. They just aren't True. I just, I just pick a, a, a couple of them or three of them. It's just physical. It's just physical. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody. I mean, what's the big deal? Nobody's getting pregnant. There's no sexually transmitted disease. It's just physical. It's like ping pong or flag football or tackle football or tackle football, and you stay on the ground longer than you know than maybe you should. But it, no one's getting hurt. It's just physical. It's not just physical. I, I, I want to just. I'll just show you this. I'm just going to read some questions for you. It could be risky questions because among us, in a group this big, it could surface some stuff from the past. And, and my point is not to try and surface stuff or even to give answers to these questions. I just want you to, to sense the nature of the fact that it's not just physical. So three questions. Why is it when a child is sexually abused... And when they become an adult and connect the dots, why is it so difficult for them to shake that off? Why is it that the child who, who's sexually abused, when they get older, ah, yeah, it's no big deal, I just shook it off, it doesn't impact me at all. Well, why is that not the case? Why, why, why don't they say, yeah, there's this real man, he touched me inappropriately, and, and, but I'm, I'm moving on, that, that's just not hanging. Why does that hang with us for an entire life? I'll tell you why, because sex isn't just physical. It touches the deepest parts of who we are. It's not just physical. Why is rape so much more devastating to a woman than simply being beat up? Why is it that a, a woman who is mugged calls the police, but when she's raped, she feels like she can tell no one? I'll tell you why. Because sex is not just physical. Why is it 
that people's deepest regrets are typically sexual. Why is it that when someone emails me or calls me and says, Stephen, I need to meet, I got this thing I need to get off my chest that's really been weighing me down for a long time, why is it that I know immediately it's not like uh, this person was at Fred Meyer and they're walking around, they were doing some grocery shopping and they went on and they saw some grapes and the grapes were there in the, in the, in the fruit section and oh man, those are great grapes and he went over, they went over and they picked up one grape and they ate it, oh man, it's such good grapes and so they grabbed a handful of grapes, looked around, no one was looking, they shoved them in their mouth, they ate all these grapes and why don't they say to me, like, and then here's the worst part. You're never going to believe this. I actually walked out of the store and I didn't pay for the grapes. I can't live with myself. I'm not saying that's okay, but (laughs) that's not what those conversations typically are about. Do you know what they're about? Sex. People's deepest regrets are typically sexual regrets. Why? Because sex is not just physical. Sexual oneness is the culmination of whole life oneness, meaning that when I'm naked with someone, when I'm vulnerable with someone physically, it's the culmination of being naked and vulnerable with somebody who's that way, I'm with with them that, that way my entire life. And when that isn't happening, we are hurting ourselves, we are wounding ourselves in the deepest parts of our souls. And these, these narratives, it's just physical, is, it's not true. Here's the second one. You need to be good at this. You, you, this is a, sex is a skill that you should develop. That this is something you should work on. Um, and this is really interesting because, you know, it's as if you know, when someone gets married, it's their wedding night, it's their honeymoon, the next morning they wake up and they, and they look at each other, man, I'm so glad you practiced at this. I know, I'm so glad you did too. You're really good at this. I know, I had multiple sexual encounters before we got married. How about, yeah, I did too. Man, I'm so glad we practiced. We're so good at this. You know what? Maybe if there's ever a contest, we should enroll in it because I think we could win it. I really do. That conversation never happens. When people get married and they've had previous sexual encounters, it it actually damages, not beyond healing, but it actually, it hinders the romance in the marriage. Here's the thing, the culture's gonna tell you, romance is fueled by skill development. Friends, it's not like learning to play the violin. Okay, it's much simpler than that. It's not like learning to play the violin. Play, play the violin. But, yes, but, but some of you are thinking, but yeah, but Steve, here's the deal. I just don't want to look stupid. I, I don't want to look stupid when it comes to it. And Can I just say this as a dad? Look stupid, okay? You've got years. You've got years together. Look stupid. It's, it's okay. But the culture is saying you've got to be good at this. Romance is not fueled by multiple encounters. Romance is fueled by exclusivity. And the problem is, is that when you have multiple sexual encounters, what ends up happening is that when you are married, then this this thing called comparison starts slipping in. And culture doesn't talk about that. 
So it's just physical. You need to be good at this. Here's the last one. You need to find out if you're compatible. It's like, you know, one is saying to the other, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm not, I could be like a Mac, and she could be like a PC, and we just got to figure this thing out. And I don't, I don't know if this is going to work. I mean, do I have to draw a picture for you? It's, it's going to work. All right? It'll work. And, and yet, really what we were getting at here is the compatibility is really a relational compatibility. What you're saying is, do we, is there a relational chemistry? And here's what you got to understand. You can have deep relational intimacy, deep relational compatibility, deep relational chemistry, and you can experience all of that without having sex. Because sex is the culmination of, of sexual oneness is a culmination of whole life oneness. The culture is saying, ah, it's just not that big of a deal. Or you need to be, you got, you got to learn how to play the violin. Or you, you need to find out if you're compatible. And it's just, these are false cultural narratives. Now let me just pause right here because here's the part in the talk that, that you know, it's like, Steve, it sounds like, you know, you're t- this is what I expected. Go to church, talk about sex. And they're saying, no, 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 don't do it. Run, stop, you know, don't do that. that there's a false narrative. Yes, there's a false narrative, but there is a, a true narrative. There is a yes narrative to sex. God created sex. It was his idea. And he actually created it as a beautiful thing that can be, can be experienced within marriage. And, and it's wonderful. So go for it. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. It's not like it's no, no, no. Actually, there, there is a yes, and it's a beautiful yes if we're living out the narrative that Christ has given to us. Because when we don't, so Paul's saying, you're, you're actually, you're hurting yourself in the deepest areas of your life and you're actually wounding others as well. So we run from it, reject those false narratives. Here's the last thing I would say, it's this. Exercise your holiness options. Friends, we're confronted with, you're, you're gonna walk out of here, you're gonna go to a grocery store, you're going to go, so you're going to turn on the TV, and, and it's going to confront you. And we need to be a people who walk in holiness. Our bodies are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We cannot control when the temptation comes. You can't control that, but you can control your response. Paul would later in 2 Corinthians say, take every thought captive. Meaning that when, when that happens, at that moment, I can take that temptation and I can put it in prison. I can give it a life sentence. So the question for us is, what movies are we watching? What TV shows are you watching on Netflix? What are you watching on Hulu? What are you allowing your eyes to see? When that commercial comes on, do you keep watching it? Do you know that you know, when, when that commercial comes on, I remember watching the Super Bowl one time with, with a bunch of families, my kids were there, and this Victoria's Secret commercial comes on. And so I, would, I just had this practice, just turn and engage in conversation during the commercial and um, and so I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody, and I, I'm looking down the line of the seats, and there's people watching the commercial. Do you know your kids are watching you when that stuff comes on TV? Dads, moms? 
Do you know when you're driving down the street and you see someone and you take a lingering look that everyone else in the car is watching you do that? You, you can't control who walks down the street. You can't control the magazines that are on the magazine rack. You can't control the commercials that pop up. You can't control the movies you watch. You can't control the, the TV shows you watch. But on the ones that you can't control, here's the deal. You can exercise your holiness option and you can just put that thought in prison. You're waking up in the morning, you could be single or you could be married, and you wake up and you have a memory of a previous sexual encounter and it just comes to you. You can't control that that thought came to you, but you can't control what you do with it. You can send it to prison or you can play it out and remember or even fantasize. We need to exercise our holiness option. Let me just say one other thing. I'm going to sound like a 95-year-old by saying this. No offense to the 95-year-olds in the room. (laughs) We can do each other a huge favor by dressing modestly. We we, we live in a culture in which, you know, dress and all of that, I mean, that's not the point of the message. The point of the message is a message we are sending. One of the conversations I had with my girls on those 12-year-old trips was about dressing modestly, and we would just put it this way. Remain a mystery. So when any of my kids were walking out of the room ahead of school, I'd pull them aside, and I would say, remain a mystery. And they would scoff and go back to the room. <laughs> but you're protecting them, and you're preserving them for a day in which they'll walk down an aisle Maybe. And experience sexual oneness as a culmination of whole life oneness. So we would, we would, I don't think there's anyone in the room who would want the way that they're dressed to be a stumbling block to, to some young man, some young woman, some older man, some older woman in any way. Let's do each other a favor, let's do our city a favor and dress modestly. Okay, I'm not a 95-year-old anymore. I just want to end with this scripture. It's from uh, the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Just framing this this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What Paul is saying here is there is a pattern you'll find in cultures. There is a pattern regarding sex in our culture. And he's saying, renew your mind. Think differently on this one and respond differently. And that is worship. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to stand. Team is going to come join me out here on the platform. We need need to respond. Uh, to our guys been speaking to us. So you can bow your head, close your eyes. And here, here's a way for us to respond. Just, just ask the question, Jesus, what are you saying to me? Just bow our heads, close our eyes, and just have that conversation with Jesus. Jesus, what are you, what are you saying to me?
he may be affirming you for walking in holiness. He may be just saying, way to go. He, he may be speaking freedom over a past that you wish you could erase and he's forgiven you. He may be telling you to run. Will you run? Jesus, what are you, what are you saying to us today? Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.